0: We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, I have no proof or corroboration. I have no studies to point to. But I would imagine that across this nation and anywhere English is spoken, two words are shouted, yelled, otherwise proclaimed to the rooftops in elementary playgrounds more than any other words. Two words that resound from the slides and the swings and the jungle gyms. Two words that if we were to walk by these playgrounds, we would hear them on a regular basis. And these two words are, my turn. Now the dispute could be over different things. A slide, a ball, a swing, a seesaw, a hoop, a toy of some kind. But the refrain would be the same, the English-speaking world over. My turn. And I can imagine those are the most common words spoken on a playground or shouted on a playground. The least common words would be your turn. No one fights for anyone else's turn. They're going to fight for their own turn. But today, we see the Scriptures and we see the counterintuitive unexpected message again Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 2 do not shout my turn as much as our turn our turn Hebrews 12:1 says our turn it's our turn to run it's our turn to follow Jesus it's our turn to take our place in the race it's our turn to run. We're going to focus on Hebrews twelve one and 2, but I'm going to read beginning in at the end of the faith chapter in Hebrews 11, verse 32 for context. So follow along with me as I read. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended, through faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now our passage for this morning. Therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, Lord, I pray that we would be a people who fix our eyes on you, Jesus. That we would look not to our own abilities and strengths, not to our own internal resources, not to our own hopes and dreams, but to you. May we be a people who steadfastly fix our eyes on you. It's our turn, Lord. I pray that you would inspire us today to take our turn, whatever that might look like. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our turn. What is it our turn to do? First point, we have only two simple points this morning. The first thing we're called to do is recognize that it's our turn to run. It's our turn to run. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 gives us an image of a race. And every person that draws breath this morning everywhere on this planet aches to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Humanity yearns to be a part of something that matters. And Hebrews 12 describes the purpose of every Christian and describes our purpose as center church. It's our turn to run the race. Look at verse 1. And let us, the very last part, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The path is not described, but the assumption is all of us have a race to run. And the Lord has put before us each a race to run. The image here is not so much of an oval track in which racers and, co- and combatants go round and round and round and round. Rather, it's like a cross-country race where someone's gone before and cut a path through the landscape. The Lord has set this race before us all. We're not racing other people trying to be first. We're following a path that the Lord has cut through the landscape of our lives. In this race, we racers, we're not going to be able to see very far ahead. At times, there'll be rolling hills of joy and peace. At other times, there'll be thick undergrowth of temptation. At some other times, there'll be sheer cliffs of hardship. Many days, it will be just barely, you'll just barely have the strength to take the next step. Sometimes the weather's going to go bad. And at every time, enemies stalk us along the way. But this is our race. It's our turn to run. The writer to the Hebrews draws our attention to what he says in, in chapter 12, verse 1, a great cloud of witnesses. These are those who've had their turn and they've run. These are those who suffered mocking and flogging, and were chained and imprisoned. These were those who were stoned and sawn in two. These were those who were killed by the sword. These are the ones who went about in sheep and goat skins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. These are the ones that the Lord says they were not wor- the world was not worthy of them, and they had to wander about in deserts, in the mountains, hiding in dens and caves. These are the heroes of the faith that have gone before us, and they ran. Now it's our turn. And notice that these witnesses are paying attention to the people of God. They're not looking to geopolitical leaders. They're not looking at the Hollywood stars or the billionaire moguls or the Instagram famous or the startup 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 companies, but to the church. They had their turn. And if we could hear them now. If they could speak to us today, they would say run. It's your turn to run. It's your turn to run for Jesus. Not only are they witnesses to us, they're also witnesses for us. They have responded to Jesus in faith even though they lived before Jesus came and lived and died and rose again. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 40 says that God has given us something better and that something better is is that we live this side of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have something better. And we will, along with the cloud of witnesses, be made perfect one day when Jesus returns. Now, our writer here does not describe the twists and turns of our race, just that we have a race to run, just that it's our turn. No one is allowed to sit on the sidelines. None of us can say, well, that race is for other people because we are called, each and every one of us, in verse 1, to run. Let us run. Let us run. Let us run. This is not something that's only for missionaries or pastors or ministry leaders. This is for all of us. We all have a race to run the race you're called to run for Jesus is going to look very much like your ordinary life. Most of us are not going to be called to sell everything we have and move off to some far-flung land. Some of us might be. But most of us, almost all of us in this room, are going to be called to run the race in our normal lives. Are you in construction? Before you're a construction worker, you're a Christian. It's your turn to run. Run. Are you a father? Before you're a father, you're a Christian. It's your turn to run. Run. Are you a grandmother? Before you're a grandmother, you're a Christian. It's your turn to run. Run. Are you a business owner? Before you're a business owner, you're a Christian. Run. Are you an artist? Before you're an artist, you're a Christian. It's your turn to run. Are you married? Are you single? Are you widowed? Before you're any of those things, you're a Christian and it's your turn to run. We must run. We must be a people who recognize that it's our turn to run. We must be a people to recognize that we only have a limited number of days on this planet and we have only a number of days that are set by God to where we will be able to run. And then we will take our place with the cloud of witnesses and cheer others on but these days our day in all of our days we're called to be people who run we are already in the race you don't need to quit your job to do something more meaningful for the kingdom you the lord has put us all in different places so that we can make an impact for his kingdom by the very witness we give to this watching world all of us as christians are in ministry all of us are called to run D.A. Carson, the New Testament scholar, relays the following conversation that happened a couple centuries ago between two gentlemen. One person says, "What what do you do for a living? And the other guy responds, I'm in ministry. You mean you're a pastor? No, I'm not a pastor. Then you're a missionary. No, I'm not a missionary. Then you hold some other kind of church position. No. Well, then what do you do? How are you in ministry? He says, Oh, by day I'm a butcher just to pay the bills, but I'm a Christian. So that means I'm always in ministry. And that's right for all of us. Whatever God has you doing Monday through Friday, that's the context in which you're to run. That's the context. We're all called to run, we all have a race to run. And none of us, none of us have a race that's sort of less important than others. Now, you might ask, how? How do we run? We get a bit of advice, more than advice. We have scriptural direction in verse 1. Therefore, look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings, which clings so closely. What are we to do to run? Lay aside, throw aside, cast aside both weights and sin. If you're like me, you like to watch the track and field competitions in the Olympics. When the track and field athletes walk up to the line to get ready to go, they they don't have extra gear on their backs. They're not holding bricks in their hands. They are aerodynamic, wearing the lightest kind of shoes possible. Their Their clothes are meant to not to to be aerodynamic and cut through the air. Imagine how ludicrous it would be if, as the runners are being introduced, one person has a 50-pound backpack on, carrying a string of bricks. You don't have to be a world-class athlete to say, that's not going to go well. That person is going to be weighed down. As ludicrous as it would be to to expect to run well with weights on in the Olympics, it's more crazy to assume that we as Christians can run well without laying aside weights and sin. We can't do that. We must lay them aside. We must cast them aside. There are weights and there are sins. They're different. Sin is a little bit easier to identify. Sin is anything that we do that's wrong. The author of the Hebrews says that sin clings so closely. It clings so closely. It can trip us up. Sin is that thing that sticks so closely that when we have to throw it away, it tears a part of us to get rid of it and throw it off. Sin is something we must deal with decisively. John Owen once said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. When you're aware of sin, you must lay it aside. Why? Because it's our turn to run. It's our turn to go. It's our turn to follow Jesus and run this race. Now, we're not responsible for the sins we do not see, but our problem is rarely that. Our problem is generally not dealing with the ones we do see. What are we called to do with the sin that so easily entangles us? Throw it to the side. And yet if you're like me, we can excuse it, we can coddle it, we can hide it, we can pamper it, we can justify it, but we must cast it aside because sin always entangles. Always. It's never a help. It's always a hindrance. You might think it's not a big deal. That, that little thing going on in your life, that thing that no one knows about, or maybe something that you've stopped struggling against, but it's just, you, you just think it's not really that big a deal. It's not really going to cause much harm. Who else is being hurt? Well, you're not able to run. You're like an Olympic athlete with a backpack on. So what must you, what sins must you cast aside? Is there something you're living with and and persevering in that you know is wrong? Do you have a secret way of life that no one knows about? Do you have something that's so entangled in you that it feels like it's a part of you? Rip it out, cast it aside. What is it for you? Maybe drunkenness? Maybe casting aside greed or porn or gossip? or dishonesty or laziness or lying we must cast them aside we must lay aside every weight and sin why because it's our turn to run it's our turn to run we must lay aside we must cast aside sin we also should lay aside weights there there are weights and there are sins a weight is not is something that's not necessarily wrong in and of itself, but something that slows you down nonetheless. Something that takes your focus off Jesus. A weight is anything that we're tempted or distracted by. I'm not talking about shirking God-given responsibilities, but there are things that we can put on our back that slow us down and that we need to throw aside. Things that are good. Things that are a blessing. The things that maybe take up too much of our focus. The text is not saying that all we should do is only always read the Bible fast, pray, evangelize, and sing worship songs in the desert by ourselves. No, the text is telling us that we need to examine our lives and recognize that we're apt to gather weights that slow us down. What's a weight? What's a weight? What's the weight in your life? I'll give you an example of a potential weight for me. Right now, it's, it's not a weight right now, but it's bicycling, cycling. My left knee is held together with duct tape and bailing wire. And one day, I will have a replacement left knee. I used to play basketball, but now I can't run, I can't jump, I am... Um, useless on the court. So to get exercise, I've taken up cycling. And so on a weekly basis, you'll find me riding my bike with a helmet, don't email me, throughout the, throughout the web of canals in the East Valley. And this, this exercise helps me clear my head and stay healthy. And at the moment, cycling is not a weight. But if I began to live for cycling and push other responsibilities to the side and didn't have time for the Lord, and when I wasn't cycling, if all I was doing was thinking about cycling, or where I could cycle, or what I could do if I, when I went on a long bike ride, then that would be a weight, and I must cast it aside. You see how cycling in and of itself is not wrong, but it could be a weight. Do you have anything in your life that weighs you down? It causes you to slow your run? Is it travel, or food, is it sports, the pursuit of money, how much time you spend at work, the pursuit of security, exercise, theater, video games, what is it? Good things can become bad things when they weigh us down. And there are some of us who need to recognize that we're spending too much time pursuing these things, and a good blessing has become a weight. We're to cast those aside. We're to cast aside weights. We're to cast aside sin. Why? Because it's our turn to run. It's our turn, Center Church, to run. It's our turn to run. It's also our turn to run to Jesus. Now, we must not get the impression that we run only always in, under our own strength. We run not in that way. We run, how does it say in verse 2, Looking to Jesus. How do we run? We run looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We run looking to Jesus. We run not looking to the sins that we've laid aside in the past. We run not looking to the weights that we've cast aside. We run not in comparison with other people and their races. We run not looking at the cloud of witnesses not looking at our faith, but we run to Jesus. We run looking to Jesus, fixing ourselves on Jesus. Now you might ask, how in the world can we do that? Because none of us can see him right now. We can't hear his voice right now. But Hebrews 12 tells us and gives us real help how we can run looking to Jesus. Jesus. If we just hear, look to Jesus, that's of minimal help because then it's left up to our imagination and our ideas of what that would mean. Do I look to Jesus in a painting? Do I look to the Jesus I want in the way he wants, I think he should be? That's not what the text says. The text says that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, look to Jesus, the founder and Perfector of our faith. That's who we look to. Not only do we look to Jesus, we look to him as the founder and perfecter of our faith. We must look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That is what we look at in Jesus. That means we look at Jesus, we cannot look at Jesus separated from his person and his work. He is the one who has founded and perfect, and will perfect our faith. We're not just allowed to think of Jesus any old way that we want to. That's not of much help anyway. We're called to look at him as our founder. Now that word is notoriously hard to translate. If you have a different version of the Bible I'm reading from the ESV, the ESV renders it founder. The NIV says pioneer. The New King James and the King James say author. The NAS says author Um, the idea is that jesus is our champion he is the champion of our faith he has founded and established our faith and we're called to look to him as the the one who establishes our faith he's established our faith in at least two ways he has established the very system of our belief what would we have if we don't have jesus nothing we would have no reason to gather. We'd have no reason to read the Word. If we don't have Christ, him, him living, dying, and crucified, promising to come back, if we don't have Him interacting with us in that way, we've got nothing. We'd have no one to believe in. We have nothing to follow. But we follow Jesus. We don't follow philosophies or fancy arguments or hollow myths or just human reason. No. Our belief system is centered on Jesus, the founder and the champion of our faith. Humanity was held hostage by the power of sin and death. We were helpless and unable to escape its clutches. And yet, the founder of our faith came and held sway, destroyed the ravaging power of sin and death. He defeated the power of sin and death by dying our sins and rising from the dead. And with that substitutionary death and resurrection, Jesus founded something. He founded something for us to believe in. We now follow a risen Savior. He founded the whole system we have. He also has founded our faith individually. None of us, on our own, would be able to to come to him unless he gave us eyes to see. None of us would have reason to love him unless he first loved us. In other words, he has granted us, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, the gift of faith. Did we really have to exert faith in him to be saved? Yes. But he gave that faith to us as a gift. He is the founder of the faith, and he is the founder of faith your faith. He is the founder of the faith, and he's also the founder of your faith. He's the founder. We look to Jesus, the founder, but there's more. If he were just our founder, it would be as if he would say, okay, I've given you a start. Here's a push in the back. Run your way. It's all up to you. Good luck. It's your turn. Go. And it's going to be hard. But Jesus does more than just found our faith, as significant as that is, he also perfects our faith. He is both the founder and the perfecter. He is the finisher of our faith. This means that we are not on our own in this race. Yes, we must run this race with endurance. There's going to be many times that we want to quit. It's going to seem just putting one foot in front of the other is just impossible, but we have not just a founder, we have a perfecter. We would never be able to run our race if we did not have Jesus right there with us, strengthening us all the way. He takes our imperfect, limited, weak faith, and says, I perfect it. You see, You don't have to have flawless faith to follow Jesus. Your salvation is not primarily dependent on the perfection or the amount of your faith. Your salvation is based on the authenticity of your faith and the person you have faith in. Do you have little faith? Good news this morning, you have a perfecter. Do you endure seasons of doubt? Well, not only do you have a founder, but you have a perfecter of your faith. Do you feel weak? You have a perfecter. Are you prone to wander? You have a perfecter. Do you fall? You have a perfecter. Your faith may be small, but we're not called to look to our faith and how much we believe in him. We're called to look to him. The point is not how much you believe in Jesus, but that you believe in Jesus. And the reality is none of us believe in him like we ought to. We should trust him way more than we do. Way more. But our faith is not the determining factor in our race. Jesus is the founder and the perfecter. He is the determining factor in our race. I've talked to too many Christians in my days who believe that the problems they're having is punishment because they lack faith. No. We never If we trust in Jesus, even if it's just with the grain of a mustard seed, it's who we trust in that matters, not how much. Should we trust in him more? Yes. Absolutely. But we look to Him who perfects our faith. We cannot perfect our own faith. We cannot work on ourselves to such a degree, so that we can be a finished product by ourselves. No, we need both a founder, somebody who touches us. Before, we were aware of him. We need a founder and a perfecter, and that's Jesus. And we're called to look to him and run to him. We're called to run to him. It's our turn, Center Church. It's our turn. As we close, three thoughts for us as we run First, we run together. We run together. Look at the personal pronouns in these. You see, we, us, us, we, us. It's not me, I, my, it's us. We run together. Wherever God has placed you, whatever church you're called to be in, if this is your church, you run together with the people here. But at the same time, no one can run this race for you. We all must run on our own, together. We're not on our own. We're together. We run together. Second, the race is hard. The Christian life is hard. Very difficult. We have a promise here in verse In verse 2, let us, or verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If it were easy, we would not need endurance. Sometimes we bring hardships upon ourselves, and sometimes hardships are thrust upon us. And there are always times, there are always seasons of hardship that we want to just throw in the towel. But this is why we look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We look away from us. We recognize that hardship is a part of this world. If you're from a Christian tradition that says, if you're a Christian, you should not suffer, that is a false tradition. The Bible promises suffering for Christians. Otherwise, if we did not have that suffering, if we did not have that that call to endurance, we would not look to Jesus in the same way. We don't need to be heroes. We don't need to be heroes of the faith. We need to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. We run. It's our turn. We run together. We need to recognize the race is going to be hard. And lastly, we must be fixed on Jesus and not be distracted. We must be fixed on Jesus. On Jesus. We must fix ourselves on Jesus. We must take the baton and run together. We must make sure that we, in the days that we have left, we as a church must run to Him and, be, and, and look to please Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. So what does that look like practically? Well, when you encounter the weights and sin that you are sure to encounter, we can cast them both off knowing that we will not be condemned, that we cannot be condemned, that we have one who's perfecting our weak faith, and that we know we are completely forgiven when we come to him, and he promises he will not hold us at arm's length. Sinner Church, it means that we can be confident, not in ourselves or the potential that we have, but we can be confident in our future, because our future is bound up with Jesus. He promises to perfect our faith when we stand before him on that day, we will not be made right because we believed enough. We will be made right because we believed in him and we remained fixed on him. We can be confident. We can also have courage. We have no promises about tomorrow. We have, no, we have many uncertainties about this season in our country. There is a great enemy arrayed against believers Wandering about, seeing whom he can destroy. But yet, we look not to that enemy. We do not look to Satan. We look to the founder and perfecter of our faith. And he promises to bring us home. We can be of good courage, knowing that whatever hardships or trials or things we must endure, we will be brought home by him because he is both the founder and perfecter of our faith. We can have courage and we can have joy. We can have joy even in the midst of trial and hardship. We can have joy that what really matters, what really matters can't be taken away from us. Jesus will not be taken away. We cannot be removed from his love. He has founded a faith in us and he will perfect that faith. We can be grateful As we are fixed on Jesus, running to Jesus, looking to Jesus, we're going to see so many different reasons to be grateful. We're going to be a people that burst forth in thanksgiving because there is so much to be grateful for when you recognize you will not face, you will not be treated as your sins deserve. And that He will not give up. And we have so many blessings in Christ. Not only can we be thanksgiving, not can we be grateful, we can be a people filled with hope. We can be a people filled with hope. We don't hope in our potential, but we hope in Jesus. We don't hope in our plans, our calculations. We hope in Him. We hope in Him. He is the one who knows what we need. Despite the uncertainties that lay ahead, we have reason for hope. We have much more to hope in than we have to endure. The endurance will be just a while. The hope and the reality of the future will be forever. It's our turn. This is what it means to be fixed on Jesus. Be fixed on him as the founder and perfecter of our faith. It's our turn. May we run. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that in the days that we have left, both individually and as a church, that you would give us the strength and the desire and the will to run. Not just run aimlessly, but run looking to you, Jesus. Thank you that we can look to you as the founder and perfecter of our faith and that we're not called to either found or perfect a faith in ourselves, but in you. And so, Lord, may we be a people who run hard after you. May we be a people who fix our eyes on you, the author, the founder, and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, I pray that as a church, we would be marked by you. We don't know what lays ahead, but we do know you are with us. And so may we not be distracted, pulled in all kinds of directions, toward relevance or popularity. May we look to you and follow you and run after you. Jesus, it's in your name. It's in your name. The founder and perfecter of our faith that we pray. Amen.